Welcome, everyone. Basketball Insights with NBA Dave, another podcast recording here on Saturday, February 1st. My co-host, Mark. What's going on, Mark? Another day, another dollar. Excited to talk to some NBA tonight. Just living the dream. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I know you had mentioned who's for real, who's not for real. You mentioned the Jazz. Clippers had a game today. Where do you want to start, Mark? I'd like to start with what um, Andre 3000 calls macaroni people. <laughs> And because they're imposters. Uh, and so I'd like to get your take on who are the real and imposters uh, in the West and Eastern conferences. Well, in the West, currently, Lakers won. Denver and Clippers tied. They're both 34 and 15. They would be two and three. Utah, four. Houston, five. Dallas, six. OKC, seven. Memphis, eight. And side note, I, I think that's it. I think those are the eight best teams in the West. We could talk about the Grizz later. Sure. I think. Grizz are eight, and OKC is seven. And then those other six, you know, I would struggle to rank them one through six, but I do think, feel more like Dallas is the sixth best team in the West. Houston is the fourth best team in the West. The second round of the Western Conference playoffs will feature the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, and Jazz. What's your take on the West? Oh, yeah. So one of the stats I was looking at is um, their records against teams. Like, they're basically their strength of schedule versus uh, 500 and above and versus 500 and below. So to the shock of nobody, you know, in the West, it was surprising to see to have their standing validated. But the Lakers are 12 and 9 against teams that are 500 and above. And they're 24 and 2 for ones that are below. So that was pretty interesting. But mm. uh, to your point about the Mavericks... Both the Jazz and the Mavericks uh, are pretty horrible against teams that are basically winning teams. So the yeah. Jazz are seven and eleven, and the Dallas Mavericks are eight and thirteen. So I wonder if that's something to kind of hold on to to see whether or not they have the, the lasting power. Yeah, Dallas just lost Powell, and you know they were kind of I think scraping together eight good players. So anytime they're going to get hit with an injury, it's going to impact them. But still, great year for Dallas. I mean, I don't think anyone expected them to be you know in the mix in the middle of the West making the playoffs. So uh, I think they're playing with house money. And then, yeah, those, I mean, the stats you're rattling off, there's a lot of those for the Clippers as well. Like, I think the Clippers are like 27 and 7 when Kawhi plays. The Clippers just haven't had a lot of continuity. Paul George missed like 11 games recently with a hamstring. Kawhi doesn't play back to backs. So I think the Clippers' best five Pat Bev, Lou Will, Montrez, PG, and Kawhi, they've only played on the court together for like 46 minutes or something. So yeah, this is, I think, a, an early take of how we think the West is going to shape up, but there's still a lot to be determined, you know, with the Clippers' health, uh, Dallas' health. And like you were saying, some of these teams have been feasting on weak teams. And some of these teams, I think you mentioned Utah and Dallas, have not done so well against stiff competition. So the West is going to be bananas in the in the playoffs for sure. Can't wait. And then the East, you asked me about the East as well. Uh, Milwaukee, I think, is heads, heads and shoulders, 41-7, and seven, by the way. Wow. Above the rest. I really like Miami. I think Miami's for real. I keep trying to cross Toronto off and they've won 10 games in a row. <laughs> they just won't go away. They're currently the two seed. Boston and Philly, they really, they, sometimes they look great. Sometimes they look terrible. Uh, Indiana just got Oladipo back. And Brooklyn, I feel like should be a lot better. But I guess to answer your, your question, I think for real in the East, Milwaukee, Miami for sure. And I need to see a little bit more from Toronto, Boston and Philly. What about you? How do you peg the East? Yeah, I tend to agree with most of your picks for the East. The interesting thing is, like, uh, one of the things I've been seeing with the Boston Celtics is I, I kind of, like, um, prognosticate that 
it, it really depends on who they see in the playoffs. And so, like, if they get into a battle early with a tough team, I, I mean, obviously they're not going to be the eighth seed or anything, but, like, right now they're the fourth seed, so they'd play, what, five or six? Yeah, four or five in the first round. So, like, I can see the Pacers clipping the Celtics if they got full strength Old Depot. And so, you know, it'd be, it, but they could also go all the way to the finals. So it's, it's interesting. And I, I wonder how long the Magic in Toronto is going to last, considering that they're, you know, going back to the stat I talked about earlier, they're 7-12 and 12 against winning teams. So Yeah, and there's probably some trades out there. The trade deadline is coming up. I want to see if you have any hot, hot stove or hot takes or hot rumors. I think Boston clearly needs a big man. I think they would trade. They have a decision to make on, like, Marcus Smart, and they need a big man. And then Toronto, you know, would be, or a possible team looking to sell, you would think, like, they could dump Marcus Saul dump Kyle Lowry, get some young assets or some draft picks back and start to rebuild around Spicy P, Pascal Siakam. <clears throat> but they're 35 and 14 and they've won 10 in a row. Why would you start selling off parts? So I think they have a decision to make. Maybe there'll be buyers at the deadline. I think Kevin Love is out there. Kevin Love do anything for you? Would you trade for Kevin Love? No, I don't think. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not. I don't have intimate knowledge of his game. I know he's been floundering and being pretty uh, immature in his approach to his unhappiness in Cleveland right now. So I think I was, it was interesting. You're talking about how Boston needed a big man. I was like, I wonder with how bad the Trailblazers are doing, would they be willing to trade Hassan Whiteside out that way? And would Boston would be willing to trade for him? That's a good one. Kevin Love is, think of him as like good stats on a bad team. He's probably 20 and 10. I actually have him on my fantasy team. 20 and 10, but that salary, like 30 million a year, uh, 28.9 million this year, 31 next year, 31 the next year, and 28. So still a lot of zeros. He basically just signed a four year, $120 million contract. And that, I think, is going to make some teams balk. He doesn't, shot, he doesn't block shots. He's a great passer. He's a great shooter. But I don't know that he's the piece that, say, Boston needs. Boston needs a big man or that. Portland is the missing piece that a Portland would need to make a run. So we'll see. And I haven't heard a really good trade rumor about Kevin Love, but I have heard that he is available. And in the East, Blake Griffin just had surgery. You got a Blake Griffin take or story or Pistons take? I just think that they probably have a poster of Blake Griffin and the LA Clippers uh, front office. And they look at it and they just, they just thank themselves for making that trade every single day that they're alive. 100%. You nailed it. The Clippers, first of all, Blake was terrific with the Clippers. He was the most exciting player the Clippers have had in the last 10 years or so. He got traded and I give him credit for, you know, being a man and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this Pistons team to the playoffs. And he did. He dragged that team to the, to the playoffs last year, got hurt. They got swept in the first round and now he's going to have surgery on his knee. So the Clippers definitely timed the trade well, got a lot of value back. Uh, I feel kind of bad for the Pistons fans, but you got Blake to get you to the playoffs, and he did that, right? I mean, you wanted him to be healthy and play 82 games a year for the next four years. That's just not going to happen. That's not in the future for Blake Griffin anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and speaking with the Pistons, like if you if you were a GM and you needed a center um, and you had the choice between Hassan Whiteside at $27 million a year, Andre Drummond at $22 million a year, or Kevin Love at $30 million a year, who do you take? Oof. Yeah, well, who's the youngest of those three? It's probably Drummond, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the short answer is Drummond. That Kevin Love contract is huge, and Whiteside's a bit of a head case, although he's been helping Portland out quite a bit. My other take on the East is the Brooklyn is 21 and 26, 
And the Memphis Grizzlies are 24 and 25. If you had told me that at the beginning of the season, I would not have believed you. Kyrie was hurt for a while. Spencer Dinwiddie played great. Kyrie comes back. Dinwiddie's play drops off. Not surprisingly, Kyrie had, I think, 21 points a couple nights ago and then 50 the other night. You got any fresh Kyrie takes, Mark? Uh, Fresh? No. But things that I enjoy? Yes. I wonder what Brooklyn was looking for. It's like... It's like the kid that's collecting basketball cards back in the day, or even today, who knows, but they, they, they're they kind of like a superficial fan. And I know they have a pretty smart guy running the, the Nets, but like, what were they thinking signing Kyrie and Kevin Durant? Like two so mercurial, very moody uh, athletes, and they've been paying for it uh, for the entire year so far. It's like, didn't you see what happened in Boston last year? What do you think was yep. any different? Yep. Yeah. He, this is the third time that he's been saying strange things and not being a leader and screwing up the team chemistry. Like, how many examples do you need? Cleveland and Boston both said that we're happy to get rid of this guy. So, Brooklyn, you should not be surprised that Kyrie is not adding to the chemistry. But I do think next year with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn will be a force to be reckoned with. And then speaking of things that do make us happy, Memphis Grizzlies. Can we talk about the Grizz for a minute? The most exciting team in basketball? Sure. They are. They've been on fire lately. They are currently 24 and 25. I actually got to see the Grizz in person. I went to uh, Grizz at Clippers a couple weeks ago, Staples Center. The Clippers looked half asleep. The Grizz came to play. The Grizz won by 26 points, 140 to 116. That'll tell you how much defense was being played by the Clippers. We've talked about these, these noon games. It was a noon Saturday game. And just the players are set up to perform at, you know, 7 p.m. So a noon game, they're kind of half asleep. That didn't really surprise me. Doc Rivers coaching, uh, my opinion, it looked like he was coaching like he had a tea time at 3.30. Like, (laughs) the Grizz Grizz scored on six straight possessions in the first quarter. Doc didn't call timeout, didn't scream at anyone. It's like, hey, Doc, might want to slow down this uh, freight train that's rolling right through the Clippers center of their defense. Uh, but I give some credit to the Grizz. Uh, John Morant is electric. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., very solid big man, really smooth, can shoot it, rebound it, pass it, block shots. And Dylan Brooks is a young shooter. What a time to be a Memphis Grizzlies fan. Like, if you're a young fan and you're a fan of the Grizzlies, all three of those guys are like 20, 21, 22 years old. You have your foundation. You're a couple trades away. And this year, just playing with house money, I don't think anyone thought Memphis would sniff anywhere near the playoffs, and I think they're the eighth-best team in the West. you got to take on the Grizz. Yeah, I, I agree with you. They've been uh, extremely fun to watch. Like, if I'm looking for highlights the next day and I miss the game, then I'm looking for Grizzlies first because I just want to see who did Morant cram on the night before. And he just, like, is completely throwing his body at people and just, like, trying to de- destroy people. Kind of like, I don't know, old Kobe when he would dunk on people and then mean mug him and other guys like that. So, you know, also uh, Derek Rose. He reminds me a lot of Derek Rose. So... Mm-hmm. It's been extremely fun to watch. I always look for like the condensed versions of the Grizzlies games to see all the uh, dunks and just they play with so much effort. It's so fun to watch. It's very refreshing as compared to maybe some of the other teams out there, like you mentioned, the Clippers when they're unenthusiastic. They have a really young coach too. That guy, John Moran, does this thing where he just crashes in the lane and jumps in the air before deciding what he's going to do. He just jumps in the air and then decides: Am I taking this to the rack? Am I passing it? Am I going to try to dunk on someone? What a luxury to be, just be able to jump like four feet in the air and then figure out what you're going to do. <laughs> John Morant, one of my favorite players. I also want to give a shout out to the Clippers in-game experience. A plus. We had such a great time. The Clippers emailed me the day before saying, hey, we're going. I see you're going to the game. Here's all the parking lots. Here's directions. 
they called me the day of the game. Hey, this is Steve from whatever. Just want to make sure you, you didn't have any questions or anything I can do to help. And then when we got there, the people I was with, my friend Mark, different Mark, he won a Clippers hat. Wow. And the t-shirt cannon came out in the third quarter. I caught a t-shirt. So wow. the experience was so fun. Came away with a hat and a t-shirt. We're going to call that a win, even though the Clippers got waxed. <laughs> Sounds like a great time. It was a great time, but, you know, Staples Center is really far. I just wish Staples Center was a little bit closer. Yeah, so it's a little bit is, is John Morant the leader in the clubhouse for Rookie of the Year? And how much smoke does Zion got coming for the Rookie of the Year? I saw that they swapped jerseys last night when the Pelicans smoked the Grizzlies. So um, Zion's looking interesting. He's, you know, obviously he, he needs to get back into uh, NBA shape. So it's, it's, a, it's like a, a pivotal point in the season to give you something fresh to look at. So it's like more of like, um, you know, appointment viewing, like, oh, hey, the Pelicans are playing tonight. What is what is Zion going to do tonight? Kind of like for people more in the NBA, what's John Morant going to do? And speaking about John Morant real quick, I was extremely disappointed to see that they no longer actually sell dunk posters because I tried to go and buy a poster and, and send it to you, but they don't exist. So sorry <laughs> about that. Could be a business opportunity, Mark. Let's uh, table that. Let's parking lot that one. You and I talk about the board meeting later. Sounds good. Pellies are making an incredible run. So the Pelicans had a bunch of injuries at the beginning of the year. Obviously, Zion didn't play until January. Drew Holiday missed a bunch of games. Lonzo missed some games. And the New Orleans Pelicans at one point had lost 14 games in a row and were 6-22. and 22. So today they're 20-29, and 29, which is not a very good record. But considering they were 6-22, and 22, they've been playing pretty well. And they're in kind of this mass of teams with 27, 26, 28 losses. It's uh, New Orleans, Phoenix, San Antonio, Portland, and, and Sacramento is 18 and 30. And are any of those teams going to make a run at the eighth seed, or are the Grizz going to be the eighth seed when the playoffs start? So I think you know there's been a lot of rumblings about <clears throat> some trades uh, potentially happening in Sacramento, so they may already think that they're not going to end it. They're 18 and 30. The Pelicans are looking uh, pretty interesting. They're kind of, all their guys are hitting their stride. I've been trying to trade for Drew Holiday for like two weeks now in our fantasy league, so that hasn't worked out so far. Next stop is the Phoenix Suns that are 20 and 28, and we have a burrito bet on. All right, how confident do you feel like they're going to get to, uh, what was it, 38? It's going to be close. They're 20 and 28, which is a winning percentage of 417, which puts them on a pace for 34 wins. So Ooh. they just got to stay on this pace and squeak out. Is it two or three more wins? It's going to be close, man. I don't yeah. think the Suns are going to make the playoffs. And my short answer is I think the Suns stink. I watch a lot of Phoenix Suns basketball in here. <laughs> it's not good. Ricky Rubio cannot shoot. I do think Devin Booker should have been on the All-Star team because he's fun to watch and he's a great scorer, 29 points a game. And his shooting numbers are better than Russell Westbrook, who did make the All-Star team. So a little bit of a snub there for Devin Booker. But the Suns, I think they're going to end up with 34, 35 36 or 37 wins and uh, yes we have a lunch bet on it so still my sons are still alive sounds good yeah next up uh san antonio spurs demar DeRozan's coming on pretty strong i think he's averaging like 20 points a game in the past two weeks and lamarcos aldridge uh, looked up what a three-pointer is and started shooting them so you know, right. who, who knows what's going to happen in san antonio so it's, it's pretty interesting i'm actually surprised to see that portland is 22 and 27 considering how bad they looked in person when i saw them play the spurs so i guess they're they still have a little bit of a heartbeat left what about you yeah i mean it's hard to count out the spurs they've been in the playoffs 20 seasons in a row i think so until they miss it, it's hard to 
to count them out. But uh, I think it's the Grizz. I think they just truly are the, the eighth best team in, in the West. Recently, the NBA talked about some changes. Is the uh, in-season tournament blowing your hair back? Any interest there? Try something new. Like talking about a different sport. Like I, I like that they changed the field goals to make them actually, you know, competitive in NFL and it. It changed the dynamics of the game in a in a small but a meaningful way, which is interesting. Kind of gives it a new facet. So anything new they want to pump into the game would be great. But I'm more interested in seeing, to your point about the fan experience and you know seeing a 12 o'clock game on a Saturday night a blowout. Although it was a, you had a great time, it wasn't a competitive game. So like, how do we get the NBA to have more balance and um, maybe I, I think ultimately they need to shorten the schedule. Otherwise, they're going to keep using this vulnerability of load management to. Um, get their teams to a championship, which is their with they're rated by, but also they're going to have Kawhi continuing to play sixty games a, a year. So I mean, what are we really doing here? How much money are their owners going to be losing or making if they change it? Yeah, although I will give some credit to the NBA. You know, they have been, I think, open to changing things. They had the new ball a couple years ago that didn't go so well. Yeah. Uh, they had the you have to bring the ball across the timeline in under eight seconds to kind of speed the game up. Basically, no one plays zone defense anymore. They changed some of the tanking rules last season so that it's not necessarily whoever loses the most games gets the most ping pong ball. So I will give some credit to the NBA for being kind of open to change. I was not real excited to hear about a potential in-season tournament, but I am interested to hear what other ideas come out of this. And just having, you know, a group of owners and a commissioner that is open to making some changes is good to hear. And hopefully they'll get some effective ones across the finish line, right? Yeah, and I, and I think I've also heard that they've thought about moving the three-point line back a little bit. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me from, like, speaking about the tournament is I would like to have the um, the final 16 teams reseeded based upon their record and then ultimately have the best team playing the best team so you get the most compelling sports to watch. What do you think? Agreed. And I think that was mentioned somewhere as that's somewhere on the list of changes to be discussed. But yeah, I mean, how fun would that be? Like OKC playing uh, Indiana Pacers or something or just some like weird matchups because, you know, candidly, the, the Clippers play the Lakers, Nuggets, Jazz, uh, Rockets. They, they play all those teams four times a year. So it's not really play the Lakers all the time. It, it would be a, a fantastic series, but, you know, we're not learning anything new about a new team. Yeah, hopefully someday they'll just get the 16 best teams based on record at the end of the regular season, regardless of conference, and seed them 1 through 16. That would be super fun, right? Yeah, it'd be great. And speaking of seeds, I can't tell you how happy it makes me feel that the Golden State Warriors are last place 10 and 39. I mean, that's just like... That's that's better than Lucky Charms marshmallows only. <laughs> they sure did shut it down quick. Is Steph Curry going to come back? What's going on with that? It's been uh, three months, right? Yeah, hurt, I actually hurt my hand again this morning. So <laughs> I've been through a couple of hand injuries, but I never broke my handmade bone or anything in the, in the middle of it. But it's just really hard because you realize how much you use it on a day to day basis, and you're in constant pain. I think I read today that he's supposed to be coming back in March sometime. Mm -hmm. But it's like, hey, let's not rush the guy back. Let's get him fully healed. Go above and beyond, especially considering the catastrophic injuries that they all suffered at the end of last year and they and the bad reputation that their training staff got. Let's right the ship a little bit with that. Let not rush him back. They're not going to do anything this year. So what's the point? Obviously, no hurry to rush him back. And at some point, like they don't even really need him in March. They're just keeping them fresh, giving them some reps, I guess. Do you have a good take or story from pickup basketball or men's league? Men's league basketball. I'm more of like a, a uh, an archetype, but like the big man not going down low. 
and <laughs> only shooting threes. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I mean, I kind of do get it being a, playing a, a center and a power forward myself, but can we get you on the block, brother? And can we get you doing some layups and grabbing some rebounds and not trying to be, you know, the modern NBA three point shooter? What do you think? <laughs> As a guard, I would usually play a one or a two. Yeah, the big guy that wants to dribble, it's like no. Pass the ball to the guard, run down underneath the basket, and I will pass it to you. Like you dribbling is does not help anyone. You're just gonna get it stolen and, and we're not even gonna get a get a good shot off. So full agreement. My men's league story is from Chicago. This was a league that sort of kept stats and and would keep score of who had how many points. And I, I had one of the best games of my life. I had 39 points, but the guy I was guarding had 50 points, including the game winner, right in my face. And all my teammates were mad at me at the end of the game. Like, how could you let that guy go off for 50 and hit the game winner in your face? And I was like, look, guys, I had 39. I had like the best game of my career. What else do you guys want from me? So got to trust your teammates, even though if they're talking trash to you uh, when you had one of the best games of your life. That's yeah. men's league or pickup. It's always going and for those who have never played basketball with Dave, he's extremely unselfish. He's pa always passing. He's always driving. So you just like to go for you to go at 39 is crazy to think about. Your three is automatic, so I'm not surprised by it. But it's not like you were ball hogging it. You were just on it. You were hot, and you took advantage of being hot. So yeah, yeah. When when you're a shooter, it's kind of hard because you want to get everyone involved. No one likes the guy that just shoots the ball every time. But at the same time, like if I'm open. I'm a shooter. I'm going to shoot it, and I'm going to make probably six out of ten. So pass me the ball, guys. Yep. All right. Well, folks, the big NBA news lately obviously was the tragic and untimely death of Kobe Bryant. I think just about everyone has weighed in now, but Mark wanted to get your take, and then I had some thoughts as well. You know me. I've never been a big Kobe fan, but I admire his dedication to the game, his work ethic, his obsession with something. I can I can identify with that. And more than anything, what I take away from it is just like little stuff like my brother and I growing up in the age of Kobe, you know, they won three years in a row, then two more after that is when you're, you're in your office or you're at a fast food restaurant, you got to throw away your napkin or your trash and you, you throw a, a little uh, jump shot into the trash can and you yell Kobe every time you do it. And that's like, <laughs> it's something you do. You don't even realize that's what, that's what he gave us as part of his legacy. And I'm going to continue to do that as much as possible. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great take. I loved it. Yeah, my first thought was it's just very tragic. You know, he's 41 years old. I'm, I'm a couple years older than that. But, you know, I don't I plan for living many, many more years. I, I didn't think I don't think about, you know, 41 year olds dying. And then the fact that his daughter was with him makes it even more tragic, you know, just uh, heartbreaking last moments there. And then just seeing the outpouring Shaq had a really good I thought heartfelt take. Uh, LeBron did a very nice job last night before the Lakers game. I thought the Lakers did a very nice job of appropriately honoring Kobe. And I hope everyone got to see uh, on ESPN just how big of an impact Kobe had on the city of Los Angeles. And it's going to be really hard to correctly gauge how many people in LA loved Kobe. And this is an organization, just remember, they had Kareem, they had Magic Johnson, they had Kobe, they had Shaq, now they have LeBron and AD. And that is, you know, a, a wealth of stardom, a lot of all-star games, titles, championships, MVPs. 
But for the people of L.A., Kobe was their guy. Even out of all that group, the people that the L.A. fans loved the most was Kobe. So it hit a lot of Laker fans very hard. And, you know, feel bad for them if you can feel bad for Lakers fans. And just I was <laughs> impressed with the way that the Laker fans showed up and they're showing love and honoring Kobe. And to your point, I, I don't think we'll ever forget him. And we always yell Kobe when we shoot a piece of wadded up paper into the trash. Man, my last take on Kobe, it was just so sudden. And a lot of people didn't know how to react because if you're a basketball fan, the guys that retire, you, you see them around. They're on Twitter. They're on ESPN. You know, all the analysts are Chris Webber and Reggie Miller and Jalen Rose and Paul Pierce and Kenny and Shaq and Charles. You know, we used to watch all those guys play. And then even beyond that generation, you know, Bill Russell still shows up at NBA basketball games. And you'll see Hakeem Olajuwon on the sidelines of a Houston Rockets game. You know, those older guys, they're always kind of still around. Shaq was saying Dr. J lives next to his mom in Orlando or something like that. Like all the old legends, they leave the game, but they're kind of still around. And it's going to be tough not having Kobe in that mix. Shaq was saying it's going to be so disappointing that we don't get to hear Kobe give a Hall of Fame speech. And I thought about that. Uh, someone else is going to have to give that speech. It, he will be missed. Obviously, he had a huge impact on the NBA for the last 20 years and the city of Los Angeles. But LeBron said, we're going to we're gonna move forward and never forget. So uh, nice job by all the NBA folks and ESPN and the Lakers honoring Kobe. Condolences to his family. Any good Kobe story or something you're going to remember about him, either rooting for him or rooting against him? When you're looking at movies with great actors and they, you, you have the antagonist and you just develop that hatred for them for and you have to kind of realize for a second how good they have to be at acting in order for you to hate the character that they're playing kobe's dominance in the league and his approach was extremely grating on you know different types of fans so it just speaks to like the legend of who he was and how hard he worked and i think that the one thing that he's made me think about the most in his um his passing is you know, how much important time is to people. And, you know, it was very important to him at his level when he's, a you know, probably a hundred millionaire or more. And he's taking helicopters to save time because, you know, no matter what, even if you're the richest man in the world, you can't buy time. So, you know, yeah. it just makes you take stock of your life and understand, are you spending the time that you, that you are, are you spending time where you really need to be? And if not, how do you make that change and uh, positively impact your life? Yeah. And you nailed it from a basketball standpoint, I think rooting against Kobe was just terrifying. Like if your team was, it was tied or your team was up one, but there was six seconds left and the Lakers called timeout. It's like, oh man, the ball's going to Kobe and he's probably going to make this, right? I mean, it was terrifying rooting against him. So the memory that I'm going to kind of stick with is one of the few times that we all got to root for Kobe. And that was in the Olympics, the 2008 Olympics and made it to the gold medal game against Spain, who was really good. They had the Gasol brothers and a peak Ricky Rubio and a couple of shooters, Rudy Fernandez. And it was a tight game. It was a terrific basketball game, but it was 91-89 in the fourth quarter. So that's clearly anyone's game. And Kobe just started doing Kobe things and making great passes and making great shots. And he, he hit all the big shots and we won the gold medal. And it, it was kind of like, oh, I've, I usually root against Kobe, but look how fun this is rooting for him. And he got us the win and we won the gold medal, you know, United States of America. So that's the one I'm going to remember Kobe for. R.I.P. Kobe. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. That's our take as of February 1st, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.